Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. So today we're going to talk about how to dupe your employees to liking what you want them to do. (laughs) (laughs) Really, we're just going to talk about how to reward employees. (laughs) That's right. We're not going to be talking about how to manipulate them psychologically or otherwise. We're going to be talking about some of these different aspects of rewards. For example, extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards. We're going to talk about some of these fundamental ideas about employee motivation. And of course, we're going to talk about some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. So let's start with this first kind of idea, which is that there are kind of two different buckets of rewards, as you may say, two different food groups of rewards. And uh, one of them is what we call extrinsic rewards. So what kinds of things are extrinsic rewards, Chris? Yeah, so this is the stuff like your, hey, we're going to give you If you'll sell your soul for an extra 80 hours this month, we're going to give you a Starbucks gift card for $5. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that could be an example, right? Uh, But they are also these other things like the financial rewards you get, the pay you get, the bonuses. Uh, And, you know, those are things that that do matter for people. Um, But, you know, if you really want to tap in to someone's inner motivation, that's when it gets a little bit trickier. And that's when we start thinking about and talking about this idea of intrinsic rewards, things that are not extrinsic to the person, but are intrinsic, internal to the person. And, uh, you know, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, this is employee motivation or motivation in general has to do with these, these things that originate both outside of us and inside of us. So the inside piece is what we oftentimes refer to as intrinsic motivation and there are a few different ways we can think about that yeah so this is this is where the sweetness of life comes from right the sweetness that this is your sense of meaningfulness having a sense of choice in what you do a sense of competence and mm-hmm. a sense of progress that you're actually going somewhere you know, when when people think about designing jobs it's like welcome to this job it's called the gerbil wheel job can you imagine spending the next 30 to 50 years on a gerbil wheel going nowhere? And then you'll get off and retire and play like meaningless board games with other people in the center, senior center. Mm. No, that sounds horrible. It does. In fact, I'm reminded of uh, Dostoevsky, the Russian author, in, in one of his lesser known books. So he's most known for the Brothers Karamazov and uh, Crime and Punishment. But he also wrote a book called The House of the Dead, in which he talks about prison life. And he says that one of the worst punishments that you can give someone is to force a man or a woman to dig a hole all day long. And then at the end of the day, they fill it back in. Right. I mean, just imagine that's that's really, really, you know, demotivational. We don't like to feel like we're on that gerbil wheel. We like to feel like we're making progress, that we're doing something worthwhile, that it has some sort of meaning and purpose. And I I think, you know, especially perhaps as you start to work your way into your career, these things really start to matter even more, right? You're getting the extrinsic rewards, you're getting the financial rewards, the bonuses, those types of things. Um, But this intrinsic stuff really matters for the long haul. 
Yeah, and this is kind of building on our previous uh, episode about pay as motivation. And mm. all of this harkens back to an earlier era of management, right? And we hadn't really studied, you know, the psychology of management so much. It's like, hey, you know, I mean, you see this with some IT workers. If we gave you an extra $4 an hour, do you think you could do some more overtime? And you're like, man, yeah, there's all you can eat overtime around here. You know, I'll pay you to let me go home. Right. <laughs> you know, right. and, and this is this idea. And how many times have we come into consulting engagements, Ben, where they're like, can you just tell me how to get these people to do what I want and like it? <laughs> and it's like, well, first you got to change the moral bankruptcy in your soul. I think the Grinch, you know, the, even the Grinch turned it around in the end with Cindy Lou Who, right? <laughs> and, and this is a thing. A lot of this stuff is stuff you back up into, which is hard for people that are results focused. They're like, tell me the levers to pull so I can get ahead. Tell me the levers to pull so I can have this result. And they've maybe gone through their life checking these boxes, high school, middle school, college, early career. Look, I am a box checker. I check the boxes, things move forward. And then they finally get to a place where the substance of their character is going to determine what kind of success they're going to have in life. And they come up bankrupt because they don't have those tools. Right, right. You know, it also depends to some to some degree on the type of work that people are doing. So, you know, one of the, uh, there, there's actually a really interesting uh, case study in what's called piecework, right? Where you uh, are get paid for the output of everything you do. You know, you do this, you, you know, produce this widget, you get this pay. Uh, and that case study comes from a, a Northeast Ohio company called Lincoln Electric. They're very well known for uh, using that approach to pay their employees on their uh, assembly lines. Now, uh, so they get paid based upon the number uh, they make welders. Um, so yeah, we're going to turn yeah. all our employees into little entrepreneurs running their own fiefdom well, businesses, here, right? Here, here's the thing, though, it works really, really well, right? Because they are doing mechanical types of work. And it, there's a quality check at the end, they they have to work together as a team to get the thing assembled. Uh, and then they check to make sure it works. And if it passes that, then they get paid for it. And they I mean, they have, they're, they're, you got people on the line there making six figures um, and they really enjoy it. Now, the trick is when it starts to involve more creative, more knowledge work, then that type of incentive doesn't really work so well. And that's why at that same company, Lincoln Electric, they uh, for other employees, they are not on that system. Right. For management, for other types of employees. And they have a much uh, different approach towards compensation there because the motivation needs to be different based upon the types of work. So uh, and I think it's still at some level, even those workers on the line, they, they also still have some intrinsic meaning and purpose. Right. The people that they work with, the environment, the supervision that they have, you know, our, our uh, podcast about job satisfaction, I think, certainly still applies there. Um, but you do want to tap into this if you really want to have a place where people flourish in their work. And this is about, you know, what kinds of things do the people do when the boss isn't watching over their shoulder, you know, and, and to what degree do you want people actually exercising some autonomy and taking ownership of what they're doing? That's where intrinsic rewards are really important. Yeah. If you care about the mission of your organization, right, let's say you're with a local food bank or, you know, one of these organizations that feeds children, 
you, you know, this is one of those things. Well, well, Sandra's sick and I know I'm on vacation, but if I don't, I'm coming off of this vacation. I'm open the vault night because those kids won't get to eat if I don't show up. There's this level of ownership that comes from intrinsic motivation. And mm-hmm. I would even say the guys at Lincoln Electric have some of that intrinsic motivation sure. because they're proud of, you know, one of the ways that they val- validate their contribution to the larger mission of that organization is how much money that they pull in mm-hmm. and how they qu- pass those quality inspections. Right. But, but in the era of Zoom and work from <laughs> home, where, where these managers that are just like, ah, how do I know if my team's doing stuff? I know I'll get Zoom to code in and I can just, you know, turn their webcam on and see if they're at the computer or not. You know, these kinds of things reveal a weak weak bond between the employee and the manager. You know, like, Ben, if you say you're going to do something, we've worked long enough together that I know, gosh darn, that's going to come in. I don't have to validate that kind of stuff. But when you have that kind of weak bond between the manager and the employee, which generally means weaker intrinsic motivation bonds, right? And it may mean that that manager doesn't feel a whole lot of fidelity or loyalty to his team anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he felt the loyalty to his team so hardcore, he'd know that there was a culture. He'd be affirming those bonds. And he wouldn't have to be like, maybe we'd zoom. I can turn on their camera with Zoom. Can we get that feature so we can like play granddaddy spy on our, anyway. Right. Well, with these intra- extrinsic rewards, I think, you know, we talked about this in our episode on pay, but you want to pay people enough so they're not thinking about money all the time, right? It needs to be fair based upon the industry, based upon the uh, type of work that they're doing. Uh, but then beyond that, if you really want engagement, that's where you want to tap into some of these other things about their sense of meaningfulness and purpose and progress. And, you know, part of this could even be things that are certainly free for the organization. Things like social recognition, things like having a great boss who comes around and actually notices what you do, says, you know what, I really value your contributions on X, Y, or Z. It really made a difference in this way. And by the way, how are you doing right now? You know, cares about your well-being. <laughs> Those can that can really start to tap into someone's, you know, intrinsic motivation. I don't know about you, but I really like working with people and with four bosses who do those types of behaviors. And when I know that they actually give a rip about what I'm doing for the organization and about me as a person. Yeah. So here here's a recent Gallup survey that found that employees who received regular recognition not only displayed increased productivity but also boost their engagement with colleagues, had better safety records on the job, and were more likely to stay with their organization, right? Sure. Which is all good things. Right, right. But, but here, here's the thing. So then Joe Manager, who's lever puller, not being the integrity and type of person that they want to be, actually being a change internally for the world externally, says, oh, well, I'll just go round the cubicles and say, good job, Steve. Good job, Karen. Waiting. And everybody's <laughs> like, God, is this about as deep as a kiddie pool with no water in it? And and I don't know what to do here, you know, be, to tell you, you can't fake this stuff. We say this all the time. But if you really, if you want to achieve the heights of management and personal everything, You have to go on this inward journey. There's no shortcut for this stuff. That being said, 
it can feel awkward. Maybe you're a new manager. Maybe, maybe like outside of work, you probably wouldn't hang out with people on your team. Well, if you're mm -hmm. a team member, you may feel that about the guy in the cubicle to your left or right or on the other end of the Zoom call. Sure. It's fine. You can embrace that part of humanity and be like, you know, Steve, I don't know how to say this without sounding corny, but man, you did a great job. And here was the impact. Like sometimes recognizing that awkwardness or the reality of, of, of the relationship that you have with somebody at work can take it from this. There's this idea of transactional, you know, relationships mm -hmm. versus one, which are more motivationals type heart type relationships you have. Now, if you have something where it's largely transactional, you know, everybody's, um, I know that my, when my wife, um, got pregnant and had a kid, we had so much lack of sleep and stuff. There was a bit of transactional behavior that was going on in that moment. Mm -hmm. However, it survived because there was that earlier motivational history. But regardless of what, right, there's all kinds. The whole point of all that is there's all kinds of these interactions. But if you can bring your humanity, if you can bring your authenticity to these engagements, you can get yeah. the social recognition can be authentic, even in a highly transactional environment. And if authentic for you is being a jerk, then you need to fix yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so totally right. Authentic jerk. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you tap into these intrinsic pieces, you know, this is going to help create that culture of gratitude and recognition. Um, and, and you also just want to make one other point that oftentimes gets bandied about the, out there and, and people say, oh, well, you know, it's just these young people who want to get recognized all the time. And, you know, they just they, they want to get praised for everything that they do just for showing up. You know what? The, the research doesn't really support at all that. There's if these you've big said that it's not them. It's you. That's right. You're yeah, the go. jack wagon. Go li listen to our court episode. Yeah. Court Rudolph. Yeah. And and that's garbage. But these are the things that we look for. These are these subtle moral bankruptcies that kill everything. It's a death by a thousand cuts from a thousand different directions. And, and we want to fix that. So that being said, here's a plug for our podcast. If you believe in what we are doing, if you think our message needs to be heard, we can't do it without you, right? Rather than going to indigotogether.com and clicking on donate, that's great, too. You can tell other people about us. Right now, guys, podcasts are struggling. There's not a whole lot of water cooler chat. Now, we continue to grow, which is awesome. Yeah, we are doing we, very well, but we want to get the word out there even more. We think these messages, the reason we're dedicating our lives to doing these shows, three a week now, by the way, is because we believe the world needs these messages and the messages of the guests that we bring in highlights. So, yeah, I mean, you, you like talk about talk about not faking this stuff. I don't think you or I are faking it when we talk about really wanting to make a difference in the world. And this is one way in which we think we can maybe do that. And um, so, please, you know, if you support what we're doing, tell a friend, tell awesome. a friend, share on social media. So right. anyway, cool. So so we've talked about intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards. Um, you know, you want to make sure that when you're having these, when you're recognizing employees, make sure that this is aligned with your goals and values. Uh, when you are recognizing someone, you can use those, those instances and, you know, those 
stories about what a person did for which you're recognizing them as a way to reinforce cultural values in your organization. You can say, look, uh, this person is getting this award or I want to publicly recognize. Maybe it's not a formal reward. You just want to say, hey, I want to tell this. I just want to be honest. This person did an amazing job on this specific thing. These are the reasons. These are the behaviors that I saw. And this is why that really made a difference in this on this team, in this organization. And it really reemphasizes our values, our values of X, Y, or Z, right? Because that then gives people the cognitive framework, the psych psychological uh, framework to understand what they need, what's being encouraged. What is good performance? What does that look like around here? Yeah. And, and this is the kind of world we want to live in, gang, right? There are moments of everyday valor that go. Like, and that's from everybody from the janitor at the high school. You know, you can't, if somebody doesn't clean the bathroom and sweep the halls, there's not a place conducive to kids learning. I mean, think about birthdays. If you took, if you took the same view to your kids' birthdays that some people do to rewards and organizations, like, well, of course they know they're another year old. Why should we celebrate that? Right? You know, well, of course they did the job well. That's what we pay them to do. That, that's not the world you want to live in, guys. And it's, these are days of every, these are moments of everyday valor that people execute and they should be championed just like you celebrate the life of the people that you enjoy and love. Right, right. Some other things that you want to do with regard to recognition is, you know, make sure it's timely. Don't wait forever to make sure that you're uh, recognizing people's behavior, you know, because then it just starts to lose its meaning. And also, uh, you know, kind of loses its purpose of helping to reinforce those values, right? You want to make sure it's close to that time. And, you know, have a good good delivery of it, right? Um, this should be in accordance with kind of the, the norms in your organization, as well as some cultural norms. So in certain um, more perhaps collectivistic types of cultures, you know, individual rewards might not go over so well. So you want to be aligned with those types of of norms, um, you know, have somebody who, uh, you know, bring someone senior along to, to, to help present that award. Like it can really make a big difference if you reach out, um, if you are a senior person, or if you bring someone else along who, who is more senior to you and say, look, this is, I just want to recognize this person with this person in the room, this, this more senior person to really highlight how great this person is and what they did. Yeah. And if you're concerned about launching a recognition or rewards program within your organization and it going over like a dud, by all means, by all means, involve the people in your organization in designing this. You might say, guys, I'm a jack wagon when it comes to setting this stuff up. Let's let's do a vote on who should be on our rewards team. And then we'll work with that smaller team to design what rewards work in here. I mean, I wish I had a trillion dollars uh, to fund this rewards program, but we do have some budget. I just need your help to make sure that our programs don't stink, guys, that are meaningful to you. Because it's like, you know, I just think of the, what's the old trope? Well, honey, I got you a new bass fishing rod for your birthday. Isn't that your favorite? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter, guy or girl, if you're sitting on top and having to set up, say, a, maybe a more formalized rewards or recognition program, you might like, man, I don't want to do the bass fishing rod thing. Although that is a good gift for anybody, I think. But uh, right, it may not resonate with others. And that speaks to those other things that we went up there. You know, the intrinsic motivators that we want 
It's not that we don't do extrinsic things, but I think the best extrinsic rewards are those that sit on top of a heap of intrinsic motivations and recognitions, right? Hey, yeah. hey, man, you got your 100,000 quota this year. So here's your Starbucks gift card. It's better than, uh, man, we've had a continual culture. I'm like, Steve, looking good. We're going to hit those goals. Man, I can't believe it. Guys, did you see Steve is training the new guys as well? And he hit his goals. Hey, we want to formally recognize something. And it's built on a top pile of this stuff. But these mm -hmm. intrinsic motivation pieces are sense of meaningfulness, sense of choice, sense of competence, sense of progress. And I want you to stop for a minute and reflect and view these as sliders in everybody's mind. Somebody may really need a super sense of meaningfulness but they don't have a big thing about sense of choice. Matter of fact, to a degree in the military, you limit your sense of choice, but you do get a lot of meaning out of there too. You know, it's like, well, you know, I know you wanted that assignment, but we didn't have anybody for this one and you're it. You get, <laughs> you're voluntold to go to middle of nowhere somewhere and do this check the box kind of job that needs to be done, but isn't that awesome. Right. You know, these are sliders. And so when you're designing these reward programs, when you're trying to recognize people individually, you know, some people may have a hard time with social recognition. It embarrasses them. Sure. Well, if you if you know that Stephanie or Steven don't like that, don't do it. Don't give them that bass fishing rod when they really wanted the jelly of the month club, right? <laughs> <laughs> jelly of the month club. <laughs> if, if there's not one of those, Oh, no, I, I think we need are. to start one. <laughs> yeah, I think those used to be a thing. Maybe they still are. Yeah, that's great. So let, let's talk a little bit briefly about some fundamental ideas around employee motivation. And, you know, this is a, a, a fairly broad topic. There are a lot of different ways in which people are motivated. And kind of like leadership, it's one of these topics that I think is best viewed through a variety of different lenses. These are all different valuable ways to think about it, uh, and they provide us with a, some different clues as to how we should think about people's behavior. And so one way we can think about people's motivation is their needs, right? This is a very old idea. There are certain things that we need, right? Going back to Abraham Maslow and, and you know, the, the hierarchy of needs, which, you know, if you really examine his work, apparently it's, it's not really a hierarchy, so to speak. But um, because people can, for example, um, experience, you know, feel, you know, fulfill their, their needs of belonging and stuff um, without having some of their physiological needs. Met, yeah. Right. Ta go give Victor Frankl Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. And he'll yeah. have something to say to that guy. <laughs> yeah. He'll be like, <laughs> Maslow, what? Um, so, but, th but it is a good, uh, good way to think about the fact that there are fundamental things that people do need and you don't want, and I guess what I always think about, I'll just put it this way. I always think about when, you know, back when I was on active duty in the Navy and we were getting ready to deploy. And when you deploy in the military and particularly, you know, on a ship, it's very difficult for you to, you know, take, especially back when I was on active duty, this is, you know, a number of years ago, it's very difficult to, you're, you're pretty cut off from the outside world. I mean, we had email, um, so you could get some things done that way, but, you know, not really regular internet access, um, you know, and, uh, you didn't have good access to the mail, like things like that. So before we left, you know, I remember some of our senior leaders on the ship saying, you need to look every person in the eye and say, 
hey, do you have what what's going on with your apartment, right? If you have an apartment, what's what's going on with your car? Where is it going to sit for these next six months? Um, do you have that stuff in order? And the reason you need to have that stuff in order is because that's if you're worrying about those things, it's going to be very hard for you to perform when you're out there, right? We got to have those needs met. Um, otherwise, you're going to be distracted. So I think that's one way that we can think about people's motivation. And different people need different things. Some people have much more of a need for affiliation, for example, to bond with others. They like being part of a team. Other, people's have a, other people have a really big need for achievement. They like to be recognized. They like to be continually moving along their careers. So understanding people's needs is very important. And this, this comes through you know, understanding your people. Get to know them a little bit. Yeah. You can't fake this stuff. Again, guys, you have to care. Now, I've as a parent who's talked to other parents, normally in the, oh, my God, you know, I've read all the books, but it was not like, okay, here comes the baby. Yes. Wait. And you're waiting for the instruction manual, and all you get is a placenta. <laughs> and so I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and, oh and then you turn, you turn to other parents. You're like, well, what are you doing? Or, you know, the, you'll have the, the kind of snobby ones. Oh, Jeffrey started a chess team at three years old. And I'm like, I'm just glad my kids are alive right now. <laughs> are they? Let me check. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. But this is but one of the things that's been interesting in getting to know parents and that, you know, the struggle of everyday parenting that's not as. Um, awesome as the mommy blogs with the curated lunch photography and all this other stuff that makes you feel bad about yourself. One of the things is some people be like, you know, I just don't get this kid. Or they'll, they'll have a child that is just completely different than who that, how they are. It's like, well, I like football and they like crochet. I, I don't know, you know, or something like that. What do you do as a parent? And this is one of those most amazing character growing experiences. You're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to find out what my kid likes and and meet their needs like a good parent. Yeah. Well, I want to say to you as a manager, as somebody with large, you know, remit over an organization, maybe a director or head of something. As a manager, you're going to have to find out who and what your employees are. And guess what? Have some empathy and meet their daggone needs. Now, it feels so obvious, but anybody's done the parenting thing is like, you know what? Sometimes that's a flipping challenge. But that's why you're worth the pay as a manager, not because you were just smarter than the next numbskull, but because you can make these existential sacrifices for the betterment of the organization and the human flourishing throughout. Right. So thinking about people's needs, very important. Understand that they vary from person to person, and they might not be the same as yours. Another way to think about employee motivation is in terms of you know this idea of reciprocity. This is one of the most fundamental um, behaviors and ideas throughout cultures. It's very well supported by research, and that is the idea that when people do things for us, we feel obligated to do things in return to some extent right? People vary a little bit on this. But the idea is that if you as a manager are really showing people that you care about what who they are and their well-being and that you value their contributions to the organization and the team, then that's going to ignite some of this 
felt obligation to reciprocate through performance, through commitment, through you know things that we call organizational citizenship behaviors, these things like helping out teammates, talking good about the organization or the team. So that's one kind of simple way to think about this as well. Take care of your people and they'll take care of you. Uh, that can be one way to tap into this intrinsic motivation as well. Yeah. So when you got that clutch deadline, you can say, Karen, I've done four more things for you this month than you've done for me. So you <laughs> owe me. No, no, that's not the thing. This is one of those things. And we'll keep, we will pound this to our ever loving graves that this is where your integrity matters. The reason employees feel that obligation to reciprocate is that it's like, you know, Chris is kind of a numbskull. He doesn't really get what motivates us, but gosh, darn it. He's like a lost child in the woods trying. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge that attempt and like help his team be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't fake this stuff again. Another way to think about this is there's a whole idea in psychology called expectancy theory. And I'm not going to go into that in too much detail here. You can always, I have a, a YouTube clip from like eight years ago that uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty rudimentary, but it gets a lot of views. Like I think more than a hundred thousand by now um, on this idea of expectancy theory. But the big idea behind expectancy theory is that I, as a person, regardless of the circumstance, really am only going to uh, engage in something. I'm, I'm only going to exert effort if I think that it's going to be worth it. And I have to feel like I can do it. I have to have that self-efficacy that if I if I exert this effort, I'm gonna can I actually perform? And if I perform, uh, is it gonna get me something I want? Right? If I do something <laughs> that's valuable, this is like washing the baseboards in my house. You know, technically, <laughs> I think I can do it, but when my wife comes by to do the quality inspection, apparently, I'm lacking in skills. <laughs> and so at this point, it's like, man. It's not worth it. And apparently I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, one idea here is that this points to the idea of why, for example, training can be motivational because training can boost someone's sense of self-efficacy because I, I can master some some skills. I can gain some new knowledge. I can feel better about my abilities. And then I have more motivation and therefore I can do it. Right. You also have to make sure that you know, the, uh, you're, you're providing things that actually matter to people, that they value kind of the carrot at the end of that stick. Some people aren't into carrots, right? Um, another way that we can think about motivation is what we call equity and equity theory. And again, I'll post a little link to my, my uh, kind of uh, not so great YouTube video, but it, it is a helpful explanation of it, apparently, to the, to the thousands of people who have watched it. Um, talking about this idea of what we bring to the organization and what we get out of it, you know? Um, we call these inputs and outputs. And here's the thing. We don't oftentimes just do this in isolation. We also compare ourselves. You know, I bring this amount of effort, skill, knowledge, experience, education to the job. I get X out of it in terms of recognition, pay, et cetera. Here's somebody else who brings that, you know, but they're getting paid a lot more or less. And when we feel this perception of inequity, it can motivate our behavior. We can say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to work as hard because you know what? Uh, So-and-so has this, you know, less experience or ability than I do, and they're getting paid the same amount. So I'm just going to reduce my inputs, right? There are all kinds of ways in which that motivates us um, to try to restore our sense of balance in the universe, so to speak. Yeah, it's a, it's a culture killer. 
You know, it can be, yeah. Well, you know, some of the things that, you know, and you see these campy memes float around, but yeah, it's, it's not always a culture killer, but you know, the idea of keeping on a bad employee mm. demotivates the surrounding sure. good employees. And it's like, you know, why, why am I killing myself? Or, you know, I want to be proud of my team, but this person is horrible. They're unethical. They're, they're stealing the donuts you know or whatever from the break room <laughs> oh the donut stealers i've seen some fights around snacks in the workplace and i'm always like good you can have my snacks because i'll eat them if they're sitting here but um you know there's a lot of those kinds of of things it reminds me of a funny thing i saw on facebook recently someone posted uh some little meme that said you know i don't really care about celebrity gossip i want to know why those employees on the night shift at Coles are fighting with each other <laughs> maybe it's an equity problem i don't know and so last piece of this you know motivational um these motivational theories or ideas that are really important it's something we've talked about in a previous episode and this is the idea that the job itself can be motivational uh the degree to which it provides some meaning and purpose um and identity right these are very important pieces as well so keep those in mind uh, when you're thinking about how can you truly motivate your team. So maybe let's move now to talk about some implications of all these ideas for people and leaders and organizations. Yeah. So for managers, learn all the skills, learn all the MBAs, learn all the (laughs) smartness, you know, all that, be all those things. But I want to tell you, that's the easiest part of your life, right? Getting into some books that challenge your philosophy and your moral compass, getting into all of those kinds of things. If that heading on that journey, you know, that the million mile journey starts with a single step type thing. I forget how that quote goes, but starting down that journey is going to make it way easier for you than to try to be like, well, how do I find the 10 moral compass points plus the four, you know, intrinsic motivational behavior? You know, that that's a lost cause. You, you know, that's like trying to write a Shakespearean play by learning the nuances of grammar. That doesn't that's not the art that you want to make as a person who's, uh, you know, moral, who's a good person. People is like, I'm a good person. Are you? You need <laughs> ha, have you put your goodness to scrutiny? Right. Mm. And one of those pieces when it comes to managing as motivating others can't be your only goal. If it's, you know, what do, you know, Bill, do I need to stand on one leg and juggle with my right arm to get you to do this? Okay, I'll learn that skill. That's that's not the way. So motiv- motivating, or like a lot of our clients come to us like, well, tell us, how can we get our people to do what we want them to do and like it? That's not the best way to come at this stuff. Right. It actually needs to come from within first, right? That That idea of, um, integrity and uh, those ideas of character. And, you know, we, we oftentimes, now there's some variance from person to person, but we can, we are very motivated by those types of people in our lives and in our organizations. They make us want to do good things. They inspire us to be better. Uh, you know, if you're working for a manager who doesn't work hard him or herself, that's not particularly motivating. We like to have role models. We like to have people who care about us. So, Uh, You know, I I think to your point, you can't just be trying to manipulate people. Um, You know, another thing I think that's very important to consider, and this can be kind of an easy one to screw up, 
is think about whether or not you're trying to reward or incentivize team performance versus individual performance. Because if you're only, for example, rewarding individual performance, that could come at detriment to people wanting to collaborate with each other. You don't want to pit a whole bunch of people together if the nature of their work is interdependent and they need to be working together. Yeah, yeah. These kinds of things matter. And this is the kind of behavior you're going to reward. Another piece is a risk for bias. And I don't mean this in a um, only in a diversity inclusion manner, right? Because that can creep in. But there's certain parts of the organization that are the sexier parts. Oh, the engineering team, look at this new product that they invented. Mm. But what about the team down in accounting? Right. What about your managerial, your um, custodial staff? You know, mm -hmm. the groundskeepers and stuff. It is easy to get fixated on the shiny things in your org and forget that it takes the whole team to make the cog work, man. And yeah. so like the risk for bias. So ask yourself, it's like, is there parts of this org that I'm not recognizing? Or maybe if you're a manager, maybe at a lower level, you're running a team of five or 10. Are there some people on the team? So my left and the right that feed inputs into the output of my team that I might be able to go to HR and say, hey, I want to recognize this other team for making our team look so doggone good. Right, right. You know, another thing that managers can do is if your organization has some sort of formalized rewards and recognition program, you know, if one of your people deserve one of those, by gosh, you know, advocate for them, put them in for that award. Uh, even if they don't get it, you know, you can still mention, hey, look, you, you were you were our representative for this. You know, now they then the organization ended up giving it to somebody else. But, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, that you were nominated and that can mean a lot, too. Um, you know, cause people will, will, will certainly notice if you never recognize them or never even put their name in the hat for one of these things. Yeah. And if you guys don't do this, if you don't make a culture of recognizing and rewarding the type of good people that you want to win, the narcissistic psychopaths will self-promote themselves in the place. So you're like, oh my gosh, this person is a psychopath. How are they? Well, well, did you highlight all the good stuff, all the good guys that have morals and integrity and stuff are doing? <laughs> well, then it's your fault because yeah. that's what psychopaths do. They cut their way to the top by hook or by crook. You that's need to right. drown them out through promoting the goodness, guys. You, you know, be the change you want to see in the world on this one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think this also speaks to kind of humanizing the workplace and being real with how you communicate with your people about performance. Um, and, and, you know, I, another great point here is just how are you leaving a legacy um, in your, your team and in your organization? Uh, think about that. What kind of organization or team are you leaving behind you if you were to go? And have you rewarded people and recognize what people actually do? Yeah. So if you're younger, I didn't realize this when I was younger. It's just like, well, I better get some skills and I'm going to learn some stuff. I'm, you know, I'm a hard charger. I want to get to the top. But, you know, now I just want to say, go look at LinkedIn. And if you're connected with some people that are more towards the retirement era or maybe mid-career, you start to see that their business relationships really matter. And they matter more than just helping them get ahead or manage, you know, not getting laid off in a recession type thing. They start to think about, 
oh man, you remember when we were, you know, 21 straight out of college <laughs> working in this call center? <laughs> now look at us, you know, we're all VPs, you know, yeah. or, you know, this is a thing. Your life has a narrative and an arc. Write a good one. Write right. a really good one. This is the legacy that people will know. So when people run for political office, which maybe my buddy Ben Barron, he's good enough looking. Maybe one day <laughs> he runs for Congress and all that stuff. If I know Ben long enough in the integrity that he has, that if he ever did something like that, there'd be a long line of people to speak to what a quality integrist, don't get a big head, you numbskull, person that he is. <laughs> And, and that's what you want. You want to have that legacy. Um, another story that comes to mind is an old scoutmaster of mine, Max Harmon. You could, he was known in the kayaking community and the scouting community all over the place. When he passed away, people his wife didn't know. You know, they had to, it was cars out the wazoo at the funeral home, all this stuff. You just didn't know how much of an impact one time I was sitting at a, a river takeout eating lunch and I heard somebody talk about he he wore an old fireman's hat for his kayaking helmet, which is not OSHA or whatever safety approved. But that's <laughs> what he wore, right, with a leather strap. And it's one of those big old metal ones, right? And somebody mentioned that and I was like, hey, hey, you talking about Max Harmon? I said, wait, you knew Max? And we ate lunch together. We just reminisced. This is your legacy, yeah. guys. Write a good one. And that starts with those little moments. You know, I, I, it doesn't have to be these grand gestures all the time. People remember how you treat them in those little ways, how you make them feel. And, you know, one thing that I've tried to do more in recent years, especially, is to tell people who mattered, like, that they mattered along the way. You know, even if I haven't directly worked with them in a while or something like that, you know. Um, so, you know, as, as you know, I, I recently got promoted in the, the Navy reserve and I, um, when I found out that I, I had been selected for that, I, you know, I, I reached out to, you know, some people reached out to me and said, Hey, congrats. I got a lot of people saying that, but I reached out to you know, one of the people who did that. I reached out and I said, by the way, do you know that you're the, you're the reason that I'm in this part of the Navy? And he was yeah. like, no, I was like, yes, we had a phone call back in, uh, it was like you know, 2009 or whatever, when I was switching to a different part of the Navy. And I was like, you're the reason I'm in, even in this, you know? And, and he was, he was kind of blown away by that. He's like, I had no idea. And I was like, well, I, you know, I, I was glad that I told him because I, I just feel like, you know, life is short and it's great for a lot of people to show up at your funeral, but make sure you tell them before they die. Yeah, totally. And people don't realize that what you thought was an offhand comment, that if it's coming from a person of moral integrity, that's on this existential journey of greatness internally, you can have an offhand comment that completely recalibrates and sets the course of somebody's life and not even know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have that power. Absolutely. So we've talked about managers. Let's talk a little bit about uh, individuals. Um, and then let's talk about some implications for organizations as we wrap up. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to talk about how to graciously accept an award because that's one of those awkward social events for a lot of people. Right. If you're getting some sort of formal recognition. Yeah. But you're not powerless. If some, if you're in an org whose rewards program is going over like, you know, a dead log in the forest, you know, you can say, hey, how about we help you guys? Help them help you. You know, mm -hmm. feel free. Don't you're not a you know victim here of whatever's going, but you might be able to take some leadership here and help calibrate. Or if you have a manager that just maybe is a little socially awkward, it happens sometimes. You might say, hey, you know, 
Filson. You know, why do I always, the jack wagons are always named Filson. <laughs> Sorry for the Filson listeners that are out there, but. You are yeah. our favorite listeners, Filson. <laughs> you know, Filson, you, Janie did this thing that was awesome this week, and you should, you should recognize her. You can, just by prompting some of those things, you can turn your culture upside down in a good way. So if it's negative, if there's not recognition and it's not like a place, it's super transactional. You can dial into some of those intrinsic motivation. It's like teaching the curmudgeon father who never told their kids they love them. Hey, dad, here's a list of literature about why you should say you love me at least once a week, you know. And so it's fine if they start off with some of that. But eventually that stuff becomes organic and natural. And leadership doesn't mean you're in a management position. You can lead from the bottom up. Sure, sure. So let's just touch on briefly some of these different ways in which you can graciously accept an award if you are in that position and it's something formally being done in the organization. And you actually found these, Chris, from uh, Toastmasters. And Toastmasters is a great organization, by the way. Just want to mention that they uh, help people build their confidence in public speaking, and it's 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 good stuff. Check them out. Um, but you know, they had some advice on how to graciously accept an award. And I think the biggest thing, first of all, is you know, say thank you. Um, that, that's, that's an easy one. Make sure you share credit with the people who may have helped you along the way. Um, have it be from the heart, you know, show your personality a little bit, um, be gracious, acknowledge the good work that's being done by maybe your peers or, you know, even your competitors, thank the people who selected you for it. Um, be excited about it. You know, this is kind of like when somebody tells you that they're offering you a job, right? They're just, they're kind of saying in business speak that they love you. You, you kind of need to say something back that's, that's appropriate and shows that you're excited about it. So show that you're grateful, show that you're excited about it, be modest. And if you actually are going to be in the opportunity, you know, ha- where you're going to formally accept this in front of people, practice, right? Practice what you're going to say, right? It doesn't have to be elaborate, but do run through it a couple times. Yeah. You want to, don't be the person where they t- suck the mic down into the stage because you didn't have any <laughs> rehearsal for your rewards. Right. But for those of you that feel uncomfortable with that personal attention, you know, the the spotlight's kind of shown on you. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect time to dive in and share your credit. Yeah. And, you know, how can I be excited and enthusiastic when I feel so uncomfortable by the social recognition? This is where you start to, hey, show excitement for all the people that help you get to where you were. Yeah. You know, man, thank you so much for this reward. I'm excited to receive this because I could have never gotten here without Barry and Filson and all these other people that helped me out, you know, and, and you can deflect some of that light off of you and onto the people that whose soldiers you stand on. Right. You know, it's helpful. And I'll post a link to this. I'll find that there's a great blog post that was written by uh, Russ Roberts, who does the econ talk podcast. Good podcast, by the way. And, you know, he, he wrote this piece once that I read a couple years ago where he talks about, you know, thinking of yourself not as the star of your own show, but as part of an ensemble, right? Part of a, a, a group. And, you're, you're, you know, the, the main character may change at different points, but you're part of this, this, uh, this group that is trying to accomplish something meaningful. And I think that that's a great way to think about life. And it's a great way to think about some sort of award. So sharing the credit is always great. Uh, so some implications for organizations in uh, with regard to this idea of how to reward them uh, and how to do some recognition well. Let's talk briefly about that as we uh, start to come down the home stretch. Yeah, so don't be the bass fishing rod org. 
get your <laughs> employees participating in what your stuff should look like. You know, I mean, some employees groups. may really, really, really want a bass fishing rod. So, you know, if they do, then that's good. Yeah. If you work at Bass Pro Shops, which is a fun store, like you don't even have to buy anything and your kids will just like wear themselves out. But but let the employees participate. That's right. We also, you know, make this make this uncomplicated, right? People need to, it needs to not be an onerous process to actually have some recognition. Try to do it in a way that's easy, that people can understand. So they don't just think that it's some decision-making that's happening in a black box about who gets what. Uh, evaluate your own programs regularly. Take a, so, you know, be critical of your own programs and, and, and practices. Um, have a little training for your managers on how to do this, both formally and informally. Make sure that they realize that this is going to help them as a manager get the most out of their team. And for other reasons, like it, it's just being a good person, recognizing what people do. And, uh, you know, having some good communications on how to do this is also very important. Yeah. And yet, so evaluating it regularly, having some metrics for evaluations. If you get to the point where your employees tell you your rewards and recognition, recognition programs stink, you've probably been off the rails for a while. So just go ahead and bake that learning and metrics and improvements kind of piece into it from the beginning. And also be careful of this idea of mandatory family fun time. Sometimes mandatory family fun time is important. If the culture needs to be turned around, nobody's used to hanging out or talking or liking each other. Well, okay, maybe so. But sometimes you're just really forcing something down the throat that the executive likes that it actually alienates that executive more from their people by showing such a distance between that connection piece on what's meaningful. That's right. So today on the Indigo podcast, we've talked about how to reward employees. We've talked about extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards. We've talked about some of these fundamental ideas about employee motivation, and we wrapped up with some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.